All right, good to see you again. Um, Turn your Bibles to Psalm 131. 131. If you need a Bible, we'll have a couple people walking down the aisles that can hand a Bible to you. Please don't feel weird about this. Get your hand up high. We'd love for you to follow along in the text and take this with you if you don't even own one. Okay, so Psalm 131. Uh, last week, uh, we did Psalm 119, and Pastor uh, Wayne was here with us from Redemption Alhambra Village, and, and from what I heard, he, he crushed it. He did really uh, quite well, and even a friend this week said to me via Facebook, and I quote, he says, Vince, you better get back soon. My brother is straight bringing the gospel noise and funk this morning, okay? And any time a brother is bringing the gospel funk and the gospel noise, I'm worried for my job, okay? Um, and so today I will try and emulate said gospel funk and gospel noise with Psalm 131. If, if you're new to us and you're just visiting today, we are in, I believe, week 10 uh, or 11, week 11 of a 12-week series through the book of Psalms. We'll do 131 today and then wrap up with Psalm 139 before starting uh, a series in the fall through the Sermon on the Mount, okay? So Psalm 131 today, and let me just give us a little bit of context of what's happening here. So David writes this song, and, and we, most people would think it's, it's towards kind of the latter years of his life, not necessarily he's elderly or aged, but rather just kind of towards the, the tail end of his life as he looks back maybe on the rest of his life and thinks through the decisions that he has made and is maybe thinking through some final charges that he wishes to give the people of Israel as king. And so David is going to, in this moment, handle and deal with some of the realities of what he is hearing from the general public. Right? So, so the context of this is, is David writes this amidst people complaining and critiquing his kingship. Uh, David, you know, he, he's really just in it for his glory. Uh, David, you've kind of just made this mistake, and, and let, let's not forget what you did, right? Let's not, let's not forget how you lied and how you killed and how you cheated and how you did these. And they're just lobbing on uh, these things over the life of David. And so um, he writes this psalm, I think, in a moment of just desperation to make sure his heart is clinging to the right things. I think he writes this in the midst of this, this, this word, this chatter that comes against him to say, man, what am I really about and what will I choose to be defined by? Because if I choose to be defined by the chorus of noise, which seems to tear me down and say, this is who I am, this is what my legacy will be, well then, man, that shapes me. All of us have that same story. So, so if you're here, right, you can look back to your life and you would say, man, there are noises, there are voices, there are opinions that people have said about you and about me, right, that shape us and make us into who we are. And we live daily out of those realities. But that is not always a good thing. It's not always a good thing when those voices become louder than the voice of God. Right? When, when those seemingly truthful statements become more true than the word of God, which says things about you that the world could never say because they don't know you the way God knows you and they have not done for you what God has done for you. And so I think David takes a step back, thinking through his life, thinking through the chatter, and tries to reorient his heart and remind himself, what does God say? What, what is my identity in Jesus? Well, he wouldn't have said that. What is my identity in Yahweh, in the God of the Old Testament? What is, what is my, and for us today, what is our identity in Christ if you're here and you know Jesus? And, and let, me, let me say this. If you're here and you're not a Christian, welcome. Thank you for being here. That happens every week. You're not alone. Thank you for engaging. If you have any questions, just come and talk. But this message is for you too. 
Because Jesus' sacrifice, what Jesus wants to communicate to you, is equally important for you as every Christian in the room. I think there just might be a greater responsibility for us Christians to actually live this way because we've said, hey, I'm on board. Okay? And so what I want to do is, here on the front end, as I've thought through what is maybe a helpful illustration of this, is, is I went and if you're familiar with Yelp, right? Yelp is a, an online review site. You can go on and you can uh, review different restaurants and different things. So uh, most of the redemption congregations, there's 10 across the state, have Yelp pages that you can go and review uh, the church, right? They have uh, Google reviews that you can go and, and review on Google the church and things like that. So what I wanted to do here is what I think probably happened with David across his life where he heard a lot of good things heralded for many great things, but then also was torn down, especially in the context of this text. Um, and, then, and then really point it to us too. And so I, I took some down for us, and I'm just going to read them to you. These are just some things that were said about Redemption Church, not just Flagstaff, but across the state. And so here's some good stuff, right? Super welcoming, strong teaching, amazing worship, wonderful kids, and incredible teen and young adult ministry. That's five adjectives. That's how strong we are, right? We're a church that preaches an unadulterated gospel. We thank God daily for bringing us to redemption, someone says. It says, if you haven't found a church to call home, you should make a visit to Redemption. Your search will stop here. It says, I've spent years seeing different churches, and Redemption is one in a million. Again, no words. You've just got to experience this. Another one, Redemption is the most beautiful place my wife and I have ever experienced. This is the best church I've ever been to, one of the friendliest places I've ever been. Many churches have nice music or sermons, but here at Redemption, they invite you to their lives. And this last one, they have some incredible programs that help refugees, and the music is incredible with such talented musicians that bring the crowd alive, and they're all pretty much hipsters, so they give the music a modern twist, okay? Which I think is a good thing. I'm not sure, okay? Some people don't think so because the first two critique us on that very thing. The bad. Church is all about the show. Band is look at me and not at Christ. Hipster doesn't begin to cover it. The music is repetitive, often includes unbiblical lyrics, and is disconnected from the message and service. Redemption is the hipster church where people just go ironically. Yep. It's kind of clever. Finally, what the sermon lacked in insight, it thankfully made up for in brevity. As the pastor concluded his remarks after about 40 minutes of, uh, or so of caterwauling, I don't think I'll be going back. Uh, this one is part of the same one, but I just had, I almost forgot the pastor also said his toddler had a demon heart. Because he uh, sometimes did not want to give 10% of his allowance to the church. No, sir, your son is not a demon. He probably just hopes, perhaps naively, that if the building's electricity bill goes unpaid, maybe your microphone will be turned off. Okay? Going on, they hate women. The next one, just simple, crazy. And then lastly, I'll stay at home on Sundays, or I'll go drink overpriced coffee at a Starbucks and talk religion, politics, and astronomy with my on-again, off-again Catholic boyfriend. I'm sure that's much more fun than Redemption Church, any branch, any Sunday. Okay? So, and this was just a few. Okay? So I read these to you for, for one major reason. At Redemption Church, the pastoral staff and our leaders, we see this stuff and, and we don't, you know, we have the opportunity in this moment to say and, and be defined by either the really good things or the really bad things, right? We, we can allow these, these critiques of us to, to define for us our work and our ministry. 
Right? We, we could be so gripped by the opinion of others that as they tear us down and critique these things, that that becomes then our identity. And we'll talk about how we do that. That, that could shape us in such a way where we maybe uh, we compromise what we believe we've been called to do. And so we begin to kind of compromise and, and move into things that necessarily we shouldn't do, right? On the other end, we can go the other direction and hear, oh, this is the best place ever, this is the greatest thing, and we could never desire to look at our own hearts. We can never try and look for our own blind spots. We could just walk around as prideful, and then this also is equally poor. What voices are we choosing to listen to to define our ministry here at the church? What voices do you listen to to define for you your identity, your life, your value, and your mission. Who, who is crafting that for you? Right? Because if it's, if it's just your friends, that's going to be tough. Right? If it's just a, a blog or a website, right, that you just read incessantly, if that's what's crafting for you who you are, then that's also going to be a pretty significant problem. If it's just me, right, and Anthony and anyone else we bring up here to, to preach to us, if, if we're the only people communicating who you are and your value, that too will be skewed because we also are not perfect. I want us, here's my hope is that we get to the end of this thing and we'd all realize that the only voice that we truly need to listen to at the end of the day is what God says about your value. Now, the rest of the commentary that comes from the chorus of the church and community and people and friends and family, that is commentary to what God says. So when it, when it comes in accord with the word of God, then yes and amen. But when it begins to tear down and pull away and distort, then we begin to have to question. Right? So who defines you. And so when the voices come against you, when you hear in our culture that from day one what we often hear across the landscape is that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Or on the opposite end, if you say disagree with someone's position, you're the worst thing since the series finale of Lost. Right? <laughs> Got him. That's the type of polarizing reality of our culture today. This middle ground seems to not exist. It's either, hey, man, you agree with me, so we're kind of in the same camp, and I'm just going to blow you up. You're going to be amazing. Or, you know what, you're on the other team, and so I'm going to tear you down every possible chance I get. And so I think for a lot of us, what we hear consistently is voices on one end of the spectrum or the other. You're either the most amazing thing or you're the worst thing. Some of you have had different childhoods and backgrounds, and so you've been shaped by this, and so you've heard things since you were very little that have shaped you, and a lot of them have been negative. And I want you to hear what God has to say about you today. Some of you have heard just positive things all your life, but it was without the gospel, and so you've moved a different direction. And we're going to address those two things here after we read verse 1. So verse 1 says this, Psalm 131, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not, too, are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Okay, so again, David dealing with the criticism and the, the critique, maybe even looking back and saying, what happened? You guys used to love me, and now you're coming at me strong. And what does he do? He says, you know what? I'm going to analyze my own heart. I'm going to analyze my own soul. I'm going to analyze my own eyes. What are the things? What are my desires? What am I craving for? Because when you look at those things, it exposes what's going on internally. Right? When you can say, well, what are the things that I'm striving for? It begins to say, well, what are you craving for in here? Because that's what he ultimately, God, wants to address. 
What are those things? And, and right now, I hope there's some stuff churning, that you're not just sitting there blankly. What are the things, right, that you're just craving for and desiring? And are they things that, man, maybe are crafted by the world's set of values and not God's? Are they crafted by what the world wants you to be and the world says you are? Are they crafted by what God says you are? These are important questions for us to ask. And I think in the midst of this, there's two temptations for us in the midst of a world who uh, wants to define us, wants to define you, wants to shape you, and oftentimes not with the gospel, what are the two temptations I think we have? And the first one is that we listen to the noise, we listen to the chatter, and we conform to that image and view of self. So a couple stories. So one of the girls that was in that video, her name was Jocelyn. And uh, man, just, just an amazing girl, right? And, and all the girls on the team, you just... I wish they could be here. Like, I wish we just could fly them all here and you guys could come and just hear their stories and hear their testimonies, and it'd be amazing. But Jocelyn, on one of the last nights, starts to share her story. And she talks about how from day one, when she was born, right, her dad was out of the picture, and her mom, from the very beginning of her life, told her that she was the biggest mistake that had ever happened to her in her life. Like, the bi- and over and over and over, you are the biggest mistake that has ever happened to me. Also being told, I wish if I was going to have a kid, at least you'd be a boy because women just become prostitutes. You will amount to nothing. Her mom is now out of the picture. They see each other one time a year, and Jocelyn says it's the worst day of her year. But since day one, that's what she's heard. She's worthless. She has no value. She will amount to nothing. At age five, she was raped by her pastor. Right? So someone she was supposed to trust and confide in within the church took advantage of her, and she had not told anyone until she told us two weeks ago. This girl has been shaped by what the world wanted to define about her. And the gospel was nowhere. But it was waiting to be unleashed on her heart. And so last week... It was unleashed on her heart, you know, and so she begins to just sit there, and, and you wish you could have been in this moment, and she, she all of a sudden, she's, she's sharing days later, and she's looking back on this moment where God just came and brought the gospel in power upon her life, and the Holy Spirit did the work that he had to do, and she says, for the first time in my life, I didn't feel alone. And she, her, her identity was redefined by Jesus. And not the lies that she had heard from day one that had crafted who she was, the actions that she did. Now conversely, right after she gave her testimony, Todd and I and the rest of our team, they wanted, kind of, they wanted the Americans to give our testimony too. And so my testimony is shockingly different from hers. You see, see I grew up in an upper middle class home. I never went without anything that I pretty much wanted. It wasn't even a need situation. It was a want situation. I had parents who were always, always affirming, even to this day. It's not even a was. It's an is. They are insanely amazing. Always communicating love. If I failed, didn't matter, still love. Never felt at a single moment in my life that I couldn't prove myself or I had to prove myself to them. And here I am sharing this story to a girl who just told me her childhood. And I'm processing through all of this stuff. And I'm saying, man, I had this and my parents were always around. 
I love seeing them when they visit. And the only thing that I could muster out for them to say, yeah, even in the midst of all of this, how is this testimony beneficial for you? Because I had it all and Jesus was still better than all of it. These competing stories led us to different levels of brokenness. Because my story too didn't have the gospel. And so what this constant affirmation, not just from my parents, but from the world, constantly gave me, the constant success, all this stuff, was a tremendous amount of pride and presumption. So, so I, I was puffed up, right? So I thought I deserved this type of life. I thought people de- should treat me a certain way. I thought I deserved to be respected. I thought I deserved to have the things that I had. On and on, pride became the thing that my heart went to. For her, she went the other direction and fell into fear and doubt. And I think if you look across our culture, these are maybe two of the greatest disabilities of our culture is that we move to pride and presumption or fear and doubt. And oftentimes it's all shaped by what people say and nothing to do with what the gospel says. There's a charge here at the end for the church to start preaching the gospel because the world needs to hear it. Because people in our cities and in our country and our world are being defined by a false story and a false narrative. And the church contains the true story of the world, the truth about who these young girls are, the truth about who I am. And it is not someone meant for pride and presumption nor fear and doubt. It is someone who is meant for Jesus, for value, for love all defined by what he says and not what we often hear, okay? And so what I think David is doing here is I think he has gotten to this place of contentment in his understanding of his love for God. I think he can look back at his life and say, man, yeah, you know what? I I did sleep with another man's wife. I did commit adultery. I did have her husband killed. And then I did lie to God's prophet about it. And I did, I'm sure, multiple other things for his life. I also did slay Goliath. I've also done these great things for the country. And yet in the midst of it, I will not go to pride nor fear. I will sit in the contentment that comes from God saying, this is who I am. And so for us today, listen, regardless of what you've heard, what you will hear for the rest of your life, I implore you to know what the Bible says about you. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Okay. Um, the, second, the second temptation, I think, in the midst of this is that we would listen to the noise, listen to the chatter. Instead of conforming to what they want to identify us as, instead we rebel and say, no, I will prove you wrong. And in the midst of trying to prove someone wrong, what you've done is made yourself the hero. Right? So, you know, I'm going to pull myself up on my bootstraps. I'm going to try hard enough. And if you're going to try and define me, I'm not going to let that happen. I will be stronger than you. And you've made yourself the hero. And when you make yourself the hero, Jesus can't be. And it is the only one that deserves that title. And so these two temptations, right, right, these two temptations, I think, constantly run through our lives as we try and navigate a world that has opinions about everything. So again, who will we be defined by? And the importance of this, I cannot stress enough, because who you choose to be defined by, what you choose to be defined by, will shape everything you do, every decision that you make. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 2 
is going to show us the right way. And I think how David moves past just kind of this, okay, let me analyze my heart, and I think he moves into this is how it's done. Verse 2, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. So David, I think after he kind of, okay, well, what's going on? There's this stuff that's happening. I'm thinking through my life. Okay, this is what's true. Let me think through this. And then at the end of the day, he goes to God. He goes to the presence of God. And this analogy for me is beautiful. So Finley, right? So Finley, my son, uh, he's, he's going to be two in like a week, right? Uh, but I remember the days, it was only about six months ago, that, that he weaned himself, right? That, that he no longer was getting all of his, uh, not all of it, but he was breastfeeding from Verity, right? And so what happens now is now when he looks towards my wife, it is not just for what she offers, it is also just for her being her in his life. And so David, here's where I want to be, is that it's just your presence, it's just you are the fulfillment for everything I need to be content so the world does not destroy me. And is he that for us? Or are we constantly swayed and moved by the movements of this world? By the comments and statements made by the people around you? By the things that are happening that are even outside of us that we have no control over? What brings you contentment? And if only things that bring you contentment are a content life, you're just in trouble, guys. And I'm in trouble. Because there's nothing content about a broken, sin-filled world. Outside of Jesus. Like a weaned child. Like a child who says, all right, I'm good. I just, I just need you. Can we, if pressed, right, if really we sat down and began to triage your life and triage my life, would it be like, look, contentment is only based on him. Period. You could lose it all. Everyone could hate you. Would not change a thing because God. That's it. Just because God. Is that where we're at? I think it's where we're supposed to be. I think we need to pursue that. And there's things I think that we need to remember in order to get there, okay? So, contentment because God. And here's where we'll land. What has he said about us? What has he said, what has he done about us, about humanity, about you and I in this room? And and, uh, again, since, uh, since I'm a preacher and I've had three weeks to think about this, I have the four P's of contentment, okay? The four P's. The first one is perspective. Okay, perspective. God defines you. It's his perspective that counts. It's his perspective that's true. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were his enemy, now you're his friend. You were slaves to sin, now you're slaves to righteousness. You were hopeless, now you're hopeful. Okay? What the Bible, what God has said about you is true. 
his perspective if you have it, and in order to have it, you must know it. In order to know it, you need to be in community and you need to read your Bibles, right? Keep pouring into Scripture as it constantly tells you. And I wish I could, and if we had the time, I would just list the thousands and thousands of ways that God speaks about you and me throughout Scripture. But if you don't know it, how can you sit and be content and rejoice in it? God says incredible things about you on both ends. Listen, he, he doesn't pull any punches either. He'll call you out. Right? He, he knows we're a, we're a broken, sin-filled people. But he also knows that in him we are perfectly righteous, redeemed, and beautiful. Know these things. His perspective. The second P is his presence. God is always with you. Psalm 139.7, which we'll talk about more in depth next week. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I free, flee from your presence? We, can, we can't get away from him. We, we look at the Gospels, right? John 14, we know that the Holy Spirit has been given to be with us always, to engage, to indwell you. So he is always there. His presence, Psalm tells us that in his presence we find the fullness of joy. Do you understand God's closeness and proximity to your life? Okay. Do, do you get that? Because again, man, if you understand that, that will bring great contentment. The next one is uh, provision. God will always provide for us. Philippians 419, uh, 419 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in your glory, in glory in Christ Jesus. So his provision, right? So, okay, we, we don't need to be afraid of what could potentially happen, right? If, you, if you're right, invested in the stock market or you got a house or whatever, and there's this constant, you know, hey, this is going to happen, you got to watch out. You don't need to live in fear and check your stock tips or whatever every single minute of every single day because at the end of the day, God is the provider anyway. You need not be fearful of this. You also cannot be prideful and think that that is your security. You see, we live in this content reality that God is right there in the middle. And it is these things that bring us contentment so that, like David, when the waves rise up, when the tide comes, we stand firm on this foundation of him. And lastly is the promise. Perspective, presence, provision, and promise. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So God, again, and I wish we had time to just go through the scripture and we could just read over and over and over the promises of God about you, about me, and about our life. Get into your word and read these things and allow the promises of God to bring in you this stable foundation of contentment so no matter what happens, you are solid in him, constantly able to continually be his witness to the world. These, these things, like they're, they're there for you. And yet we live instead in, ah, well, I think this, and I think that, and this person said this, and this person said that, and I read this blog, and I read that blog, and so this must be true about, about me, and about our world, and about our church, and about, no, no, no. Come back to the scripture. What does God say about you? You must only be defined by that. 
The rest is just commentary, and some is better than others. Yesterday, in a sad bit of news, my son Finley, like I said, almost two, broke his leg, okay? Yeah, I know, very sad. So, um, yeah, so he's got this fracture running up his leg, you know, and the bone is hanging. I'm just kidding. No, it's not. It's just right in there, just a little tibial fracture. And it was just interesting, right? Because, man, my two-year-old son has a broken leg, you know? And I was like, that's awesome, right? Verity did not think the same thing, okay? Verity's freaking out. He's really upset. I'm thinking, like, he's going to get a sweet cast. I didn't break my first bone until five. Like, he's three years cooler than me. But what I noticed as I looked at Finley, with a broken leg, the only thing he wanted was to be around me and V. Like, that was it. We kept saying, hey, do you want this? Do you want this? No, it was none of that. It was, it was just, can you guys, like, I bet you he's thinking, dude, just shut up and hold me, right? Which Verity says to me all the time. He gets it from his mom, okay? All he wanted was just us. Broken leg, crying, pain, tears, the whole deal. There's nothing we could offer him other than just him being with us. And that calmed his soul. And even with a broken leg, we were like, oh, maybe it'll get better. You know, he's got a broken leg, but maybe it'll get better on its own. So we didn't take him to like the evening, to the ER. And Wow, okay. She's gonna, you're going to go on the Yelp review, aren't you? <laughs> Pastor hates his kids. Um, we didn't know it was broken, so, you know. All he wanted was us. And so we come back to the text, and I just wonder if David's writing this, and he's just like, look, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of coming to the end of this thing. And I'm looking back on my life, and I'm seeing the achievement, and I'm seeing downfall, I'm seeing everything in between, right? My, my kids tried to kill me. I was living in a cave. Like, I mean, like, this guy's life has been pretty wild. And I think he's getting to the end, and he's just like, you know what, man, at the end of the day, all I want is God. I just need God. And just, are we there? I, I think we're supposed to be there, right? I, I think that's what the, the world needs us to have, is this insane dependence upon God himself. Not what God also always offers us, but just God. To bring contentment to our souls, so we're not blown from side to side. Brother, rooted in a foundation that is only in him because the truth about God, which is better than anything this world can offer, is he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he doesn't change. So we can always count on him to be there. To always provide, to always give, and to always be who he is because he cannot change. Okay. And so he lands with verse 3. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This final exclamation in this very short psalm. This, again, remember, these things would be sung in the temple. Oh, Israel, listen up. Just depend on the Lord. Just depend on the Lord, and the rest will kind of fit its place in your life. Okay. I love how he lands this, and I wish and hope and pray for us that our hearts would go there. 
because the rest of the stuff that we talk about here, man, we need to be out there loving the city, right? We need to be loving each other well. We need to be engaged in community. We need to be discipling and mentoring people. We need to do this urgently. We know the time is coming. We need to be able to move forward in the gospel and his power. We need to depend on the spirit, all of the imperatives of the New Testament. I tell you right now, if you do not make God the center part of your life, Christian, the rest will not matter. You'll force it, I get it, you'll will your way, that's the type of people we are, but man, let's not be that, because we want long-term, sustainable, consistent, faithful, and God-honoring type of discipleship here. And it just starts with him. I know I keep just beating it over and over. It starts with him. Like when you leave, do not forget this, right? I know it's kind of like, they say on average, you remember like 5% of the sermon, just remember this one line, it's all about Jesus, right? It's all about God, every aspect of it. Depend on him, trust in him, lean on him, and then you know what, man? This, this city will just be different. If the Christians in our city, the 10% or whatever number it is, <coughs> excuse me, if, if seven or 8,000 Christians in the city just started doing this, man, things would be different. And so as we go, let's say it one more time, one more time. Depend on God to identify you, to give you your value, to communicate to you who you are. Trust it, honor it, live it, read it continually, believe it, and then go and live out the implications of what God has done. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, man, this is a lesson that I am just really bad at, Lord, and maybe that's why I keep saying it over and over and over and get repetitive is because, God, I just know that I am awfully dependent on myself at times. God, I often think that I got this under control, and God, I can, I can do all things, and I forget the second part, that it's only through you who strengthens me. So God, I pray for us today that we get this simple lesson that I think is just Jesus and Christianity 101, which is it's all about you. I pray that the same spirit, the same contentment that we see in King David here, just this, you know what, man, let it come, say what you want. I'm with him. Like, God, I just pray that for my own soul. I pray that for the souls that are in this room. God, I want to pray for those who are here that, that, don't, uh, that don't know you, that, that wouldn't call you Lord and Savior, that wouldn't label themselves a Christian. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, reveal yourself in incredible and amazing ways. God, thank you that your testimony is true and is faithful. We can bank on it. I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do the work to make yourself just bright and obvious and known in this space today. God, that you would transform hearts, you'd renew minds and conform each and every one of us into the mind, heart, and life of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. You need not prove anything ever again. You need not prove that you love us because you laid your life down. You rose on the third day. You're faithful, you're good. So God, may we give you everything. Depend wholly on you. God, make this very common, simple statement far more true for us 
right now than it's ever been. In Jesus' name, amen.